Anchor FM. This is Etch the Edges, where we climb the steep cliffs of the divide, the issues that separate us from the right and the left, and we do the hard work of closing that divide to find the common ground we know we all share. Hi, I'm D.S. Brown, your host, and together we will etch the edges. America has often been at the crossroads, and here we are again. What do we do now, and how do we do it? Together, let's get into it. Our purpose? To do the work. To truly peel away at the extremes. For it's the extremes that divide us. The tail is wagging the dog. Small groups of people with outsized voices are commanding the stage. And the rest of us? We suffer for it. It's time for all that to change. Let's lean into discomfort, have the hard conversations, and together, let's etch the edges. Today, we will be talking to two special guests, mother and son. Michelle Head, an educator with Gwinnett County Schools, and her son, Jeremy Person, a student journalist at UGA and a contributor with the Red and Black newspaper. When we return, we'll talk about the tremendous toll this pandemic has taken on educators, the pressures they and their families face, and how they are managing the cope. Stick around. Join us. Again, another powerful conversation with everyday people who are brought up or are in extraordinary circumstances, and they're having to do extraordinary things to manage it. Today, we have two guests on the podcast, a mother and son, and I think that brings a new aspect to the show. Michelle and her son, Jeremy, are here with us today. Michelle, please introduce yourself to the audience. Hi everyone, my name is Michelle. Um, I am a mother of one son, I'm an educator, and I am, hmm, I am a strong black woman. I like it, I don't like it, I love it. That is excellent, <laughs> that's how we're gonna start leaning in. Jeremy, please introduce yourself. Um, my name is Jeremy, I am a young journalist, uh, strong black man trying to do my best in this world uh, for the people I care about. And that's an important thing, a, a distinction that should be made. And, you know, we, we should go ahead and, and add the fact that, you know, all of us on this podcast are people of color, you know, mm -hmm. black Americans to be sure. And we're calling out these challenges because we've entered into a time where more so than almost any other, you know, in modern history, so to speak, it becomes our responsibility to speak on the things that are impacting our lives. And it's impacting us even more so in the middle of a pandemic. These are, these are treacherous days. And we're having to walk our way through it and navigate it. It's incredibly challenging. It's hard. It's impacting families on a day-to-day -day basis and they're having to make extraordinary choices. So again, everyday people dealing with extraordinary things, we're just gonna dive right in. We're gonna call it what it is. I'm gonna set the tone. So we all live here in Gwinnett County. You know, um, as Michelle said, she's an educator. And the fact that she's an educator makes this whole podcast all the more important, more poignant. 
because here in Gwinnett County, school has started. Now we're kicking it off and it's virtual, but she still has to go into the building. And that in and of itself is an extraordinary and intriguing thing. So Michelle, let's just go ahead and kick it off. Let's first talk about your thoughts going into the pandemic and then walk us up into this week when you actually had to kick things off. Um, the pandemic itself itself is uh, an unrivaled event, as you noted. And so everything, every aspect of dealing with it is, you know, going by the seat of your pants and, and trying to understand just how to maneuver in what we've coined this new norm. Um, leading up into this week professionally uh, has been a, a roller coaster of emotions. Um, going from appreciating the, the small fact that we were able to start digitally to then walking in the building, a building that I have been in a hundred thousand times, but now walking into this building, kind of feeling a different type of weight on my shoulders and not necessarily the weight of, of making sure that my students were successful. This had nothing whatsoever to do with them. It had everything to do with me personally and the dichotomy was just, and it still is so very hard to, to hold on to. Knowing that I'm walking into a building, knowing that I'm walking into a classroom that I had not been in on a regular basis since March. And believing and hoping that the cleaning processes that, <laughs> that went on in my absence were enough so that I'm not walking into you know, a possible COVID nightmare just sitting in my classroom, you know, and I know it might sound a little um, futuristic, but this is a virus that knows no gender, no, no racial ethnicity, no economic status. It doesn't care who you are. If it can attack you, it will. And how it gets to you, it will find every way possible. So, you know, knowing all of this has made going into the school for pre-planning um, as well as just the process of pre-planning itself, the, the two together just, it made it such a much heavier um, weight on me than just in normal years going in on pre-planning and trying to make sure that, you know, everything is set up for the students. Um, let, let me jump in on, on that point, Michelle. Sure. I want to take you back. So I've got a little insight, of course, into how the activities played out, but I want you to lean in deep and share with our listeners exactly what you were feeling because I know there was a day when all of you were, it was almost as if you were in the cafeteria, but you were there virtually. And mm -hmm. your principal was talking to you about what he knew best of what Gwinnett County was starting to institute. And I think it was in that meeting where you first learned that despite all the pain and the pressure and the concerns that you know, you're there, you guys are there, you're isolated, you're getting comfortable. 
despite all the stories you're sharing of, of, of the negative aspects of what's going on. But then suddenly you were told that there are dates being established and that the students might be coming back at the end of the month. Yeah. So I just want yeah. you to start from that particular point because I know you felt a particular type of way. Oh yeah, the word is fear. Scared shitless. Um, a fear that I thought I was no longer gonna have to deal with, but um, just became very real and very prevalent. And to, to put it frankly, up until we got this notification, I was getting a, a better grasp on how to get things set up digitally for my students and really you know, getting a, a, a pattern of things set. Once we found that out, oh, you could forget it. I could not focus on anything. Um, it was almost like I went into extreme fight mode. Not a flight, but a fight mode. And it is just, what can I do you know, to protect myself? How do I need to set up my classroom to barricade myself from my students? I have, I've been teaching for 31 years and I have never, ever, ever in my life considered barricading myself from my students. That's, you know, a hell of a thing. Um, that, that's a hell of a thing. We just have to emphasize that. You actually use the word barricade. Exactly. Barricade, as in you need a barrier between yourself exactly. and those that you care about, that you're cultivating, exactly. and you're trying to elevate and grow. That, that's, that's a heavy weight. And, you know, we can't lose sight of the fact that that has a heavy bearing on you as a teacher. It is because that's not my personality. Anyone that knows me knows that I'm a, a touchy feely, a hug type person. Even my high school students know if you have a problem, go see Miss Head. You can get a hug and it'll make you feel better. You know, those types of it's, it's no longer that that part of me has to be sublimated so much in this pandemic that it is almost to a degree, it is trying to change my personality. And so that's an internal fight. But yes, barricade. I've been looking at the, the different pieces of furniture in my classroom to try to figure out, okay, what can I put so that it literally forms a barrier that the students cannot cross? Wow. You know, in, in the stores, they have this plexiglass that they've placed up. You know, Gwinnett County, what have they given us? Three face masks, and a bottle of hand sanitizer. Wow. That is it. Wow. That is it. And, you know, they've put up signs that masks are required in this building. I know good and well, just like those students in Paulding County lined up arm in arm, and some other students in Cherokee County, I think it was Etowah High School, yeah. where they lined up and they took a video of them sneezing together for the first day. I mean, come on, high school students are, some of them are very mature. However, a good portion of them see this as a joke. They're going to come in and this is going to be playtime for them. My life is not playtime. My son's life is not playtime. Wow, that is heavy. Jeremy, let's go ahead and get you in here. Um, tell us, you know, as this kind of progressed over the summer, and the planning was emailed and we started to get some real insight into how things were going to execute i know this had you 
boiling too. Your emotions had to be going up and down. What were your thoughts? What were you thinking? What were you thinking? What was going through your mind? So, as you said, uh, the school kept in contact with us um, at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, they didn't really have any plans set out at first as things progressed you know, uh, throughout the summer. Um, they had the impression that they were going to be setting up for in-person classes for the fall. Um, their correspondence was you know, very uh, perfunctionary, um, very professional, very, you know, uh, we care about the students. And that is a consistent thread. We care about the students. Um, the way I judge these things is primarily by the actions rather than the words, uh, particularly with um, university systems. And the actions on paper sound viable. Um, and one might even add to that viability some hope so that it seems more likely. But um, as has been said, not everyone will take this seriously. Not everyone cares. Um, and the, to use the phrase, the best laid plans of mice and men. Um, when this all eventually comes into actual practice, it's hard to imagine that things will work out uh, as is expected. Um, with all of the planning that has been put into place, with all of the, um, you know, expectations, there is also a good amount of pushback, and it is largely from students and faculty, uh, professors, teachers, uh, basically anyone who will be, um, for lack of better phrasing, on the ground in this environment. Um, and that, the, that, I don't mean to interrupt, but that, but that brings up a, a, a very salient point for me, and I want you to elaborate on it. Um, I saw a picture, and it looked very interesting. You, you say people, you know, engaged, feet on the ground. And, you know, I've uh, spent no small amount of time in Athens myself, but it looked like I saw a picture and people describing a protest where they were laying down, distanced, six feet at least, and, and wearing masks. But this was some kind of protest around starting school in the manner in which they're trying to execute. Could you elaborate on that a little bit? Um, yeah. Yeah, that protest uh, was for exactly what you said. It is, it is a very, it is, it is the epitome of the, of the fear and the frustration that a lot of people are feeling. And um, that, that doesn't just end with students. Again, it is, it is very prevalent in many of the staff. Now, when I say staff, I don't mean administrative staff. Um, there may be, of course, some, but the overall narrative and the overall um, front has to be, we're going gung-ho into this. <laughs> but as evident by the people who were literally laying down 
and pretending to be dead. Yeah. There is there this this is not <laughs> this is fucked up. We are not yeah. adequately prepared for this. We are and I say we, I mean that not just university systems. This also applies to uh, any sort of any any education system in the state, including the country. People are not the the logistical nightmare of trying to keep people separate. In in you know in a high school, in a middle school, in elementary school, where you have people moving through hallways, where you have um, water fountains, you know. Think, literally think of the process of going to take a drink of water. You have to first go through people to get to the water fountain. That's already a whole nother thing. Once you get to the water fountain, how are you going to activate it if it's not motion activated, right? How many institutions in the country have water fountains that are not motion activated? Try to go for the drink of water, not motion activated. So you have to touch it in some way. Are you going to sanitize before you touch it? Has it been sanitized by someone previously? Can you account for that? Do you have someone on staff whose job is to sanitize the water fountain? What is the health impact of someone constantly sanitizing a water fountain? Go to take a drink from the water fountain. Are you going to use your mouth? Like how far is too far? Like how close is too close? Um, and again, with all the sanitization on this one spot, is that gonna get inside of the water fountain? Because you know, there's droplets, chemicals that can come from sanitization it's a whole thing and that's just a water fountain and again you've seen pictures i've seen pictures as well of of um you know duct tape covering a water fountain right like that's going to solve the issue and and let's just say okay so that's going to ward off some people what about the people who are just going to say fuck that i'm thirsty and do it because they don't think they have symptoms because they may be asymptomatic and, you know, God forbid that's the case. But, you know, there's no accounting for it. And now, again, we're applying this to places where there are thousands of people. How are you going to account for every single person when you don't have a mandate? You don't have a strict mandate of what can or can't be done in these places. It's just everybody do your best to protect everyone else. <laughs> no, these institutions... And, you know, we can, we can keep this at the, 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 you know, the educational level, but even going up to the federal level, there is our institutions who are expecting individuals to, to, to take on the, the, the amount of responsibility that the institution should be taking on. Right. <laughs> we can't mandate ourselves by, you know, you don't even have to look far to see how we cannot mandate ourselves. You know, certain people will certainly take the effort, but at the end of the day, there's always going to be however many people who just are not going to care or not care enough or who will care as much as they should and not realize that they have symptoms. Absolutely. And, and you call it out when you talk about that, right? You, you've got the asymptomatic. They don't show. Some of them are the I don't care. You've got the folks that are antagonistic up front who say it's not real, who just refuse to, are willing to get into fights. We're seeing videos every day. It is one of the most asinine things I've ever seen in my life. 
But you, you bring it up and you hit the point, you know, nail on head. We don't have a mandate. You know, we don't have rules being applied that say, these are the things you must do. <laughs> and I, I got to admit, <laughs> Jeremy, I, I haven't heard anyone use an example like oh, about a water fountain. Brother, that was intricate. <laughs> and I love it. I love it. <laughs> it, 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 is, it is. And even if you think about it from Gwinnett County standpoint, so their answer for the water fountains, at least as far as my school is concerned, is turn them off. Okay. So now all of the water fountains all over the entire school are turned off. Okay. And then you're also dealing with going back to, the, you know, the mandates. For instance, Georgia, there is no mandate for wearing masks. Mayor Keisha Bottoms, who tried her hardest in the protection of her people to mandate that people wear masks in businesses. The governor decides that he wants to throw a lawsuit against her. And he's loud and proud in the news about this. Oh, she's just doing this and that, and she doesn't have the people's best in mind, and yada, yada, yada. On that point, but, I think today he might have dropped it, but I got to double check that. Oh, yeah, I was I, about to say, yeah. Oh, he has dropped it, but see, it's been so quiet. Yeah. It's been so very quiet that he's dropped it because oh we can be loud and proud and wrong, but then when we when we're eating crow, we have nothing to say, so we're deadly quiet. Yeah, and there's a lot of crow to go around. I mean, and it's like they're feeding more crow every day. And, you oh, know, yeah. both of you are calling it out, right? So we have a lack of leadership here, right? You know, yes. we don't live. It's it's interesting. We don't live in an authoritarian country, but we have people who want to act in authoritarian ways but yes, they don't yes. want to act in authoritarian ways on items and topics that truly matter. You exactly. know, in an instant exactly. like this, we need you to drop the hammer and say, yes. wear your mask. Exactly. Six exactly. feet away. Exactly. Countries on the other side of the world, they put folks in guns at checkpoints and say, exactly. stay inside. Exactly. Over here, we got people acting up. They're just acting insane. It's crazy. You know, I mean, and the epitome, again, I mentioned it before, but the epitome to me is when you have high school students who are just readily, you know, taking pictures of themselves arm in arm with no masks. No masks. You know? But then the administration says, oh, well, they were only, they were just moving from one class to another. Do you know how many students in a high school move through the hallways? The contacts the possibilities of contacts. If one person sneezes at one end of the hallway, the air filtration system that is not at all up to CDC code is gonna catch that and it is going to travel like nobody's business. It's a wrap. And that's inside a building. But then exactly. like with, with, with Jeremy, even though I'm thinking, what, and it, it just popped into my head, right? I'm imagining you know, it's in between classes, you know, someone's walking down from Park Hall, they're on their way down Sanford. And, and I remember those days and the school population back then was around 38,000. I have no idea what it's like now, but I know the school was always bigger than the city. And you walk down the street, you were shoulder to shoulder, elbow to elbow. There was no distancing as people went from building to building. So even though you're outside, you are walking in one direction. You got 15 good minutes of someone else's air mm -hmm. straight out of their lungs. 
it's mm-hmm. it's it's a COVID cloud. It, 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 is know, a, it, it is a human petri dish. Yes. And I have said this before. We are not experiments. This is not Tuskegee. And I will continue to say that. No, Tuskegee, Tus- Tuskegee was on a smaller scale. True. Still, we are not Tuskegee on a small scale or a large scale. And the fact that it's small or large, it's got to be immaterial to the whole thing anyway. One exactly. is too many. One is yes, too many. Yes, exactly. Exactly. How many kindergarten kids are going to have to die? And see, what, what the counties don't realize is some parents who are going to have children that get effect, infected, they're going to turn around and they're going to file civil laws. The lawsuits are going to be rolling like thunder through this. Cherokee County, if, if anybody should be paying attention to anything, they need to be paying attention in Cherokee County because Cherokee County is the baseline. They first haven't update. even been in, they haven't even been in for what, two weeks. The first day you have one entire second grade class and the teacher quarantined because of one child. Now you've got 15 schools, two high schools that have been shut down because of this. And what are we doing? Making our way back into the building. Why? I don't know. Now, on that point, Michelle, as we walk by, as you walk into the building, you know, um, I, I don't know which side you go in. You know, I am familiar with your building, but I imagine, I imagine when you go to that front, and you're probably not going through there, but I'm thinking it's there. Have you seen that sign? There's supposed to be that sign that's there that lets you know exactly where you have to stand as an educator in this county or in the state, rather, because it was it was a state law and. You know, quite frankly, a lot of us view that as a, as a deprivation, a, a revocation of personal rights and liberty in order to be seen as someone that has to be essential and must risk your life exactly. for, you exactly. know, whatever they're trying to throw into the mix. I haven't, seen seen it on the, I haven't seen it on the front door because, as you said, I haven't, I haven't been through the front door in forever. But I've seen um, images of the sign around the county in other locations that are school related and Gwinnett County thinks that they forget Gwinnett County Georgia itself thinks that they can stand on the GASB 359 law that states that you know because of COVID-19 no one can file a lawsuit and no one can sue oh no folks are going to get around that the ACLU the, the no 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 there, there is no way that Gwinnett County or any other school county or the state of Georgia can really truly believe that they are um, they are without any law liability in this. Because if you did not require, if you kept people at home and then someone went into the building, that would be by choice. But if you are requiring teachers, as Gwinnett County has, you are requiring teachers to be in the building. After the first three days, we had 260 cases in Gwinnett County from Gwinnett County schools, not the city, not the county, but from the schools. Three days, three days. And these are adults that are supposed to be responsible. These weren't children. We're talking custodians. We're talking cafeteria workers. We're talking administrators. We're talking teachers. 
And that was before school even started. That is before school even started. We, we were in the first three days of pre-planning and we were in, in our separate rooms with our masks and our hand sanitizer. And this comes up. Wow. Wow. Now I want to lean in a little, a little deeper for you personally. There's a reason that if, if you'll be open to sharing, there's a reason why you're so passionate about this. And, you know, when we talk about the health of people in this country, the mm-hmm. teachers in particular, mm-hmm. you know, it's been said, it's been banded about, but unfortunately it doesn't seem to, to bubble up to the point, to that threshold of real criticality and consideration. But almost half of the teachers in this country, if one could throw out that as a base statistic, are in a certain age group. They have certain things going on with them, you know, yes. from a, 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 a health standpoint. Yes. And that puts them in that category that is called at risk. Mm-hmm. What, what, what does that mean to you, Michelle? Um, well, it means that in late June, early July, I visited my, I, I virtually uh, actually talked to my general practitioner and he agreed and wrote me a letter. Okay. He agreed and wrote me a letter stating that based upon his diagnosis of the several conditions that I have, that it is not in the best interest at all. As a matter of fact, I think it states that I do not need to be in face-to-face instruction. Now, if I had gone to HR with this, then they would throw the leave act in my face and tell me that I would have to use my sick leave days or take leave without pay. Hmm. I have several conditions that put me at high risk. And um, one is bronchitis. That is an upper respiratory condition. This is not just a, oh, well, maybe if possible. No, this is something that my allergies can trigger in no time. It is in there. And one of the ways that we know that COVID affects people is through their respiratory system. Um, My passion for this is because on a daily basis, I am making a decision. And there have been some days where it's been in tears. Do I deal with my health and my son's health or do I pay my mortgage? And I never thought that I would get to that point where I would be in that position to make that kind of decision. My parents are heavily considering pulling some of their own money in order so that I can take leave and they can help me financially. My parents are in their 70s. That is not their job. I have a job. I have a good paying job. I have a job that I want to go to and be in. But my health takes precedence over that. If I'm not healthy, it doesn't matter whether I have a good job or not. Let's let, and, and I want to, I definitely need to unpack that. That's, and I'm glad you said it just that way, Michelle, because here's the thing, and, and I want folks to understand this, right? Um, what you just called out was your health versus your mortgage. Mm-hmm. You know, whether you, you continue to collect a check or you have 
a roof over your head. And the final summation, which just can't be discounted, is that either you decide to step away, preserve your life, or you go in and you could die. Mm-hmm. And, and that, mm-hmm. that, that's, that's the choice, literally. Mm-hmm. The possibility mm-hmm. of death. That's heavy as hell. And so I want to ask you, because the whole thing is supposed to be about closing that ideological divide, because I don't think that anyone would disagree with the fact that through all of this, despite the fact that a disease knows no politics, the people do. Mm-hmm. People do. And they place politics and ideology squarely on top of this thing. Yes. You want to step into the other side. You got to ask the question. So, Michelle, what, what do you think? Why do people think that it's okay to put you in that position? Because we know here in our county, there are a lot of folks who think that that's okay. They've said it out loud. They mm-hmm. think well, you just, you just, you, you just have to decide. What do you think's going on in their head when they make that decision? Why would they do that? Because educators are not deemed important. There is no respect for educators. Educators are equal to professional babysitters, and there are many people who need to go to work. And I understand that. Yet my health is also as important as their need to go to work. So then they decide that I'm too lazy. I just need to go in there because there's nothing wrong with it. Um, As um, a senator said, just go back into the classroom. It's easy. There's no problem. Yes, there is a problem because my health is impacted and then it's a domino effect. My health is impacted. My son's health is impacted. His life is impacted. You know, I have a living will that I have been tweaking to make sure just for this situation that my child is taken care of because I have no idea what is going to be going on. And I throw out here, I put, I, I challenge any board member that's in Gwinnett County. You need to not just step foot in a school. You need to come and spend some time in a classroom with the students in there, with the same masks that you've given to us, with the same hand sanitizer that you've given to us and nothing else. You need to come in and sit. I'll set up my lessons for you. Heck, I'll run the Zoom. You sit in the room with the kids. And then we'll see just how important the health of that individual in that room with the kids becomes when they are in the trenches. Absolutely. Absolutely. And Jeremy, I want to bring you in at this point. You know, a a couple of factors to consider. The things that your mom just said, th- those, those, those things weigh heavily. You know, what does that make you think of when you hear her say that? And beyond that, even as we were just discussing the politics, I want to ask you the same question. What do you think these people are thinking when they act in such a manner that they would force your mother to make such a decision? I uh, I don't like to generalize, but I will say in the 
start with the parents. Um, as has been said, parents often see teachers as professional babysitters. Um, they do not understand the amount of work that goes into being a teacher, the unpaid amount of work that goes into being a teacher over the summer. Um, their, their, their highest concern for a parent, the highest concern for a parent is their child. It should be, you know, we can't say that for every single parent because I have heard of and seen some parents who are more concerned about the work they would be able to get done. But that being said, their highest concern is their children. It is their well-being. They don't give a single, they, they, they don't care at all about anyone else. They may care about their own families, maybe their own friends, but at the end of the day, they have this mindset of, you know, um, good luck. And that's the kind of mindset that, that's the kind of mindset that has become their life. And a lot of them don't realize it, but in this kind of situation, they make it very apparent. For some of them, it's not even just their children, it's their money. And, you know, you can tie that back to the people who are more worried about, I'm not going to be able to get this kind of work done because I have to worry about taking care of my child at home and understandable, right? Um, but their, their biggest concern is their money. And you can apply that as well to the people who are making these decisions. A lot of these people were more than likely raised uh, by maids or, or caretakers, um, went to private schools. So they don't have any concept of a public school beyond what they may have seen in media or read about, you know, in a, in a book or something like that, you know? So they do not have the practical knowledge that it takes to really conceptualize how this will not work. And you can say that about many parents too, because parents haven't been in a, you know, they've been in a classroom for decades, you know, and, and even for those that would remember what it was like to be in a classroom, memory is muddled, memory is plastic. It can be so misinformed by their adult experiences. And then even again, you know, no one really, you know, you, you, people are not inclined to take the, the time to really think through logistically how difficult, how nearly impossible it is to keep people safe in these situations. So when I hear people making these making these generalizations, when I hear people, you know, making the same kind of arguments uh, that you would see with, you know, oh, everyone on welfare is lazy, or 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 um, any number of argument that that puts the blame on victims, right? I see people who are greatly misinformed, who are at best, at best greatly misinformed, at worst, hoping for something, hoping for something to go wrong. 
um, there is a, a, there was a British um, a, a British I think economist Thomas Malthus. You may have heard of him. Um, Malthusian thinking is very prevalent in a lot of people, and they don't realize it. It is this, you know, this 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 uh, uh, this tendency to blame society's ills on the poor, on the disenfranchised, and you know, in its original conception with Malthus, it was largely focused on this Christian mindset of, of um, not to get too deep into it, but it was, it, was, it was largely based on this Christian mindset of people acting sinfully. And because they act sinfully, we have all these issues with, um, with world hunger and with poverty. And uh, it's because of these people it's because these people are are doing these these unholy things that they are poor, and it's only natural that the you know the the the, the compounding issues like disease will come and wipe them out. And that kind of thinking, you know, it is not always in name, but it pervades through generations. And you have people now that will say without thinking things like, I'll just go back into the classroom because they have this shape in their head that was molded by Malthusian thinking and, and other types of thinking like it. And you know, there is a great deal of anger in me because I have a personal stake in this, many people do. I know many people, many friends and family who have personal stakes in this, many strangers too. So there's a great deal of anger in me, but there is also a great amount of pity for these people because at the end of the day, they are going to become victims of their own ideology. Mm. And they will, you know, maybe some of them will realize I was wrong. And maybe even within that, there will be people who are able to understand that they need to change something about the way they think, but there is no guarantee. At the end of the day, there's probably going to be a lot of people who find some way to blame externally. And the problem will persist. And there's only so much that we can do to try and get at the root of that, to help people see it is not the poor person next to you that is the problem. It is not the teacher who was afraid for their life. It is not the student who is laying down on the ground protesting the possible demise. It is the people who make these decisions. It is these people who are so far removed that they only care about the dollar amount. And that kind of thinking, the dollar amount, the, 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 the market of bodies, that goes back mm-hmm. to uh, a lot of things. And that's a whole nother discussion, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. But Market of bodies, yes. That is what this becomes. Because, you know, let's take uh, as a case, um, let's say there's a, an institution that um, refunds people for the time that they would have spent 
there instead of the time that they had to uh, give up because of the pandemic. That institution is still making money because they don't give everything back. So in a sense, no matter what happens, these institutions are making money by people going. The only way they don't make money is when people do not show up. And that is why there is such a united front for people to show up. And now, yes, we do need money to help these institutions run, but at the cost of thousands, millions of lives, you know, for, for the people that are, again, making these decisions that are way high up, maybe, you know, that's worth it. But for the people who will be dying or the people who will watch people die, no, of course not. Of course not. Of course not. And I got to jump in on at that point because you, you hit the, again, you hit the nail on the head. When you think about the fact that the ideology will, it, the, it, it will provide the lessons because, and unfortunately, again, we can layer the politics right on top of this and we can see where the division comes in and, and comes to play. Leadership has behaved a certain way and a lot of them think that they are invulnerable, that this does not affect them. You know, when the information came out that it hit a certain demographic, a certain socioeconomic group a lot harder than others, this gave some folks credence to think that they were okay. Oh, and, yes. you know, I've heard people say this, you know, here in Swanee, it's, it's fine. You know, there's a line of demarcation in Gwinnett County. We know on one side, people think and behave a, a certain way. Mm-hmm. And on the other, they behave a different way. And they look different. Mm-hmm. They look different. We have some of us interspersed in some of these spaces, and it creates conflict. One of the things that became, you know, it, it was real indelible to me is when, you know, I've been active online trying to push this, and one guy told me, he said, you know, you've been very vocal, and what I'm going to do is send you my $30,000 nanny bill. Talk about professional babysitters. He said he's going to send me a $30,000 nanny bill. I had to smile. I had to laugh, but a part of me inside was real sad to realize that his filters were so thick that he thought that that was a decent thing to say, that he was mm-hmm. frustrated that he was going to have to take care of his kids for three months, and Part of me also said, so having someone come and take care of your children for three months is going to cost you $30,000. Hmm. You're, you're in a different bracket, buddy, but, uh, okay. <laughs> you know, you know, and, and if you got money like that, why don't you go ahead and put it to good use? Because educators aren't babysitters. They are not nannies. They are teachers and they are doing an outsized job for not enough pay. Mm-hmm. But going back to the politics that are at play when these people behave this way and they go out, and they have the concerts and they, they walk hand mm-hmm. in hand or they take these mm-hmm. pictures where they're actually sneezing on each other. It's, it's already come back around. And the ideology is so deep, it's so ingrained that, you know, even as we say, they're gonna get the hard lesson. You know, for a lot of them, it's gonna take a really big, deep, wide, hard lesson. Mm-hmm. Listening to NPR, <laughs> back and one guy in Florida, his daughter, caught it and she was weighed low. They thought they were gonna lose it. Thought they were gonna lose it. Couldn't breathe, all of that. I think she was intubated for a good bit of time. She survived. She came out of it on the other side. And the uh, interviewer asked this gentleman, he said, well, we, you know, we're, we're, we're happy for you. We think that uh, this is awesome. It's great that your daughter survived. Now that this has happened, would you consider doing things differently? Like, do you think you would wear a mask and that, you know, um, you would follow these? 
these guidelines and these rules if they were in place. And I had to pause and look at the radio when I heard this man say, well, no, you know, um, I, I don't think you need to mandate a mask. I, I still wouldn't do that. That's just not right. You know, I don't, I don't need the government telling me what to do. I, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do it for myself and I wouldn't do it for my family. And I was like, holy shit, <laughs> wow. And then I thought about it, I said, clearly his daughter can't be right there to hear him say that. Well, yes, she was sitting on the sofa. And they said, well, what do you think about this? She said, yeah, I just want a cookie. And so it was something like a wanting a cookie to ask her what she wanted. You know, part of the show started to go past me at this point. I was lost. I thought I was in the twilight zone. I thought this mm -hmm. can't be real. Did he really just say that with his daughter who almost died sitting next to him? As a matter of fact, he did. And that is how deep and ingrained in a wash we are in mm -hmm. political affrontery and ideology. It's a complete and hot mess. Mm -hmm. Because they can't get their minds out of that. We got some, some hard, difficult days ahead. But we'll power through. We'll do what's right. You know, um, Michelle, I want to go ahead and give you, the esteemed educator in our space amongst us three, the final word. Uh, you know, you, you said some powerful stuff. You said some powerful stuff. You know, keep, keep the foot on the gas and leave us with something that really hits home. It's interesting that you asked that on a day where I woke up this morning and in my mind, I thought to myself, you know, it's time to be more solution driven. Yes, I can complain and yes, I can express my views and my fears and my concerns. But at the same time, I need to be more solution driven. And one of the things that I really pushed for and started doing today was you know, anyone that came to me that had, you know, uh, they wanted to, to vent and they wanted to complain and, you know, I don't like this schedule. You know what? If you did not like it, then you should have been a part of the solution in getting it set up. Um, you know, if you did not like the, the lunch that was provided for us then you bring your own lunch. Um, now, I'm not trying to, you know, whip people down when you know they're complaining but i i have just got to be more solution driven and i cannot allow too much complaining to to enter into my space because that then also starts the the weighing down process do i have a solution for gwinnett county and their asinine imbecilic plans for bringing the students back in two weeks? No, I don't because my plan would not make a lot of parents happy and it would make the board look like a bunch of fools all except for Everton Blair, of course. Of course. Um, but, you know, in my own little bubble, I am being as solution driven as possible. Um, and I think that we, we need to continue being that way as well. It doesn't mean that we can't express ourselves because we need to do that. There needs to be a platform for expression about concerns and fears. Yet in that platform, there also needs to be 
some solutions, some suggestions that are provided um, in order to balance out all of the, the negativity that is going on. Because solutions and suggestions provide hope and positivity that you can move forward and move upward rather than being stagnant. Wow. Michelle, I think that is an appropriate note to close on. From a person who is in a situation where you have to either decide to engage or could quite possibly die, you make it real plain that you do the job of a compassionate and engaged teacher. You educate, you uplift, and you decide to be solution-oriented. That's amazing. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you so much. Jeremy, thank you for taking the time. And once again, here on Etchy Edges, I think we've etched it quite well. And I really want to thank our listeners, and we will get back with you next time. Powerful words from good people facing impossible choices. We got to thank Michelle and Jeremy for sharing their truths with us here on Edge the Edges. If we're going to close that divide and make policy that benefits all Americans, then we have to do the work. Engage, conversate, clarify, question, have the courage to step out, and most importantly, vote. And to you, thank you for listening to our podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it, so please like and subscribe. Tell your family, tell your friends. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Etch the Edges. And don't forget to visit our website at EtchTheEdges.com. Check us out and pick up some of that swag that will express your commitment to the cause, the cause of a better America, where we can all stand together at the mountaintop. Do it for America. Be good to yourselves and each other. We'll see you next time.